Welcome to the Black History Toolkit podcast with Abu Bakr Madden Al Shabazz. Support the channel by subscribing and also making a donation via Patreon or buy a cup of coffee on Kofi. See the links below. You can also find out more by visiting the website abubakamadan.me. We're going to look at the survivalist approach is looking more at slavery, slavery, resistance, emancipation, abolition. That's what it's really looking at. It's looking where Africans or black people in the Western world are now fighting back for their so-called freedom. So Asa Iliad is an educational psychologist, hematologist, you know, he studies black Egypt, classical black Egypt, and he's also a historian. This is what he says, and this is something I always like to use this quote because I feel it's really important for us as, uh, as black people and for those of us who are white people as well to understand black history within their historical experience in the past. I think this is really important here. Uh, because black people have been invisible in many, many historical spaces as far as history is concerned, and we've been omitted deliberately. And I think it to give context to the content, we need to acknowledge that we have had a relationship together for hundreds, even thousands of years. He says that there's something dreadfully wrong with an education socialization process that leaves us ignorant of our past, strangers to our people apes of our oppressors and creatures of habitual shallow thoughts and trivial values. What I want to focus on is looking at education. When he talks about the aspect of education, he's looking at the educational system. What is the educational system, system doing for us to learn more about our past? Okay, more about our present state because we're only in our present state because of what took place in the past. Okay, history is not about sets of events that took place and has no relevance with the contemporary situation that we find ourselves in. They're all related. So looking at the educational system. And so education takes place in the home. Okay, socialization, what they call primary socialization. We also have to look at the secondary forms of socialization as well, such as things like social media, such as the television, such as films and movies and magazines and tabloids, you know, all these different things socialize us and gives us a particular fr frame of thinking. The process leaves us ignorant of our past. If you don't know about your past, you're going to become strangers to your people, strangers to the people around you especially if you've been living with them for thousands of years, maybe even strange to your own people. And it's not just looking at things from a black perspective, it's looking at things from an individual perspective. History is really important for us to know and to navigate ourselves into a more profitable future. So what has happened now with the series, the catastrophic is ended now, surviving this approach. So this is a catastrophic stage of what's taking place. We're going to move, slowly move into survivalist stage. So the Moors have lost power in 1492. And this is the time that Christopher Columbus is going to go out on his so-called many, many journeys in order to so-called discover the new world. I've already emphasized in the first week or two that there was an African presence in America two centuries before Columbus. His name was Abu Bakr II. He came from the Empire of Mali and he left between 1307 to 1312, leaving his brother Mansa Khan Khan Musa in charge of the empire. Um, Mansa Musa is the richest man that's ever lived. This is what is recorded. He was a Muslim, he was a Mandinka, and he controlled this massive empire in West Africa. 
So Columbus has gone out on his journeys, and now you start to see the likes of Balboa, Balboa, Cortes, and all these other individuals, the conquistadores, they're going in, occupying the so-called New World. So Isabella and Ferdinand are now given the keys of Granada, uh, which is the city, the last stronghold of the Moors or the Muslims. And um, this now is where Muslim or Moorish control is now over. This is at the beginning of the Spanish Inquisition, which many people, if they don't conform to Catholicism, etc., they are going to end up, uh, end up being tortured badly or dying if they resist. It's all around, so a lot of things have changed in the world, and this is what begins the modern world of Europe, okay? Spain is the first nation state, and it has immense amount of power. We've also talked about the Treaty of Tordesillas that takes place about a year or two after Spain and Portugal become war with one another. The Pope decides to split the world into two, he gives half the world to Portugal and half the world to Spain. Brazil is Portuguese-speaking. That's what's given to the Portuguese. Africa, Asia. All beyond these lines here was given to Spain. It's why a lot of these countries today are Spanish-speaking. Other countries with Dutch-speaking or English-speaking or French-speaking is because they came in later as far as the slave trade is concerned. That's why those people are speaking in those particular languages. So if you look at Jamaica, Jamaica was a Spanish colony that was taken from them by the English in 1655. And that's how the language changed and that's how that colony changed. So Europeans are fighting for one another, etc. What the Muslims or the Moors created in Spain is now being destroyed. Those are being destroyed it brings in, ushers in the Renaissance, the Enlightenment period in Europe. This is a historical fact. So you can see how things are interconnected, even if people historically do not want to quote their sources or who the custodians before they came on the scene. Now, the Asiento de Negros was contracts that Spanish and the Pope was given to other nations to take slaves from Africa. Slaves are only taken from Africa by the Spanish, but Spain couldn't go in there because that was Portuguese territory. This is important to you, it's Portuguese territories. So what happened, Spain was given what was known as asiento, licenses or contracts, France, Britain, Holland, Denmark, Sweden, Germany, and Italy. These are some of the nations that were getting these contracts as buccaneers or privateers, depending if they work for their, for their government or their monarchies, etc., to go into Africa to steal free people to enslave them. And that was because Charles V commissioned in 1517 between 4,000 and 15,000 slaves to come into the New World because he has this massive empire and he needs to cultivate it because at that time there was a shortage of food within Europe. 1517 was also the beginning of the uh, Reformation. So you've got two major issues or two major events taking place at this time. I talked about the Songhai Empire, which was the largest empire in West Africa. That falls in 1591, when the Portuguese decided to come in as mercenaries with the Moroccans, came in and destroyed the University of Timbuktu. It brought its scholars into, in, in, into chains, back to Morocco at that time. And security was lost in West Africa. And this is how the Asiento was able to exploit that lack of security in taking away so-called prisoners of wars who are now going to be made as slaves. 
It's historically inaccurate for us to say slaves were taken from Africa. This is not true. Slaves were not taken from Africa. Free people were taken from Africa and then made slaves. Even if people want to say, well, slaves were taken from Africa, they were actually prisoners of war because it was internecine warfare within the empire. The empire just crumbled. People are trying to retrieve their land, territories. They're trying different tribes. They're trying to gain hegemony over other tribes because the tribe that controlled the empire wasn't really liked or respected or whatever the case may be. This is what's taking place and this is what's happening. Britain don't really come into the scene until as, until as early as the 1600s, but it's in 1555 where you start to see where Britain starts to gain some sort of access into this trade. Slaves going into the Middle Passage, and this is going to be about survival now. They're going to be locked in the Middle Passage. They're going to be chained down. They may be on the ocean for two months, three months, four months. There's even some records I've read where some ships are on the, on, on the Atlantic for six months, vomiting, urinating, you know, um, sweating, eating, defecating, urinating. You could think of all those things. That was happening to these individual people. Many of them couldn't speak the same languages because they came from different areas, etc. They wanted to reduce group unity in order for them to maintain hegemony over these people when they get off in the New World, the Caribbean Islands, and North America in order to develop, though, develop and cultivate those lands for European markets now, because the Moors have controlled those markets for approximately 800 years. So they have to create the slave now. So we're looking at the concept of determinism. Determinism is a concept in sociology, which basically means where the person lacks agency or autonomy. It's paternalistic in its approach, which means you are a social actor. You have to read from a script. You've got to conform to a script. So you have a lack of agency. And this is what it was like for black people. So in order to create the slave, which is now called a Negro, because before they were called Negroes, they were called Moors. Moors is a word that means dark skin, black. It's a descriptor, it's an adjective. That's what more meant. More people think that more means Muslim. No, the word more was used 700 years by Europeans before Islam even comes into existence. So it's important to know, pay attention to chronology, know who was who, because this is where a lot of distortion is going to take place now. They're not going to attribute Al-Andalusia and those North African monuments and architectural designs to these people. And this is how they change the narrative by changing names. So in order for us to understand how to create the slave, you have to take control of the slave's language. So there are things in sociological understanding known as social constructs. Those things that create culture. So culture is based upon language, beliefs, morals, customs, norms, values, and mores. All those things are culture, which comes together. So language is a form of communication where there's verbal and nonverbal forms of communication. So what you'll find now, we were not allowed to speak our languages, whether it was Arabic or Yoruba or Wolof, Akan, whatever the case may be. And now we have to speak the languages of, in this case, just for focus on the English, because you know many of the French, many people speak French, many Blacks speak Dutch, and whatever the case may be. And the next thing, they had to take away the religious aspect, which meant that spiritual elements with that religion was taken over. So, and it was replaced with another type of religion. But unfortunately, they couldn't keep it. They wouldn't allow us to embrace Christianity because you're not supposed to enslave another former Christian or fellow Christian. So 
keeping us as infidels made it easy for them to justify how they were treating us. Then our customary practices changed, our dress, we ended up in the new world but naked. This was to give the impression to the people who were on the shores or the seafront or the auction markets that we were savages and barbarians. This is the whole point of doing it. And obviously to wash off many of the slaves because if you're in a ship sitting in urine and feces and vomit and menstruational blood and all these other type of things, you're not going to smell well. So they had to wash off the slaves, etc. And they didn't have particular size of, you know, for shirts or trousers, whatever the case may be, to, 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 to give to these individuals. So they literally went to the auction block naked. So this is a form of humiliation. This is, well, you know, this is a form of humiliation. Our names were changed. If you look at West Indians or African Caribbeans in Britain, if you notice, we share the same surnames of the people of the British Isles. Our first names are mainly European, but our surnames, we've got names like Williams and O'Brien. We got names like Macintosh, you know, we got names like Marley, you know, we got names like, you know, you know, and the names just literally go on and on, you get the drift. So that's what happened. And that is because you now was going to be owned by that particular family. So any black person with a surname such as Williams, it meant either two things, either his father going back a few generations which came from maybe wales or scotland or england depending on where they came from had that name had a child with a african or a black woman which may have been the product of rape and that child would have carried that name another as if he was a planter he would have actually owned all those slaves on the plantation would have carried his name he became she became they became properties for that name this is why the likes of Malcolm X changed his name, because he was a slave. Little is a slave owner's name is an Irish family's name who owned his family. That's why he changed it. And that's why you find what's happening as a form of survival for black people in the Western world, to disassociate themselves from determinism. In other words, what was imposed upon them, because the migration was forced. It was forced migration. Relationships were also controlled. Occupations would have changed. Back in Africa, many of them were scholars and doctors and surgeons and physicians. Many of them were librarians. You know, many of them were teachers, professors. You know, many of them were blacksmith, carpenters, builders. They had a society that came from a huge empire, which lasted a few centuries. So just to say, because they came in naked, that they couldn't read or write. They may not be able to read English or French or Dutch or German, but they certainly were able to read their languages, not their script, or many of the Arabic script. So this is important for us to understand and important for us to know. Relationships, you were not allowed to get married. Marriage was a sacred thing with amongst African people and the British people denied us this, this right. And this is one of the problems which we had in trying to develop ourselves as families because our families were owned by the slave owners, by the planter class, by the planter, plant, planter's family. So we had very little agency in bringing up, raising a family. Identity was basically changed, and as far as education was concerned, our education was non-existent. If you were caught reading and writing, you were basically either flogged, maybe the 30, 40, 50, maybe up to 70 lashes, maybe to 100 lashes, or you were executed. This is what it was. So from 1492 onwards, we were denied an education. 
And even if you look at what took place after the American Civil War, when the 30th Amendment was passed and black people tried to develop themselves as agents and individual citizens within that social development of integration within society, they were still being denied right up until the 1950s. You see the hostilities when the segregation educational system came and how hostile white people were towards black people gaining education. So you can see that education would have given us some sort of liberty or freedom. In 1555, the English kingdom began to take interest in the new world. And this is when mass consumption came to the UK from, 55, from 1555 onwards. So what we're beginning to find out is that um, a lot of different spices are coming here. Ivory is coming here. Not just slaves and all, you know, not just slaves, but a lot of other forms of objects or commodities or merchandise. And it was developing the aristocracy. And in 1580, this is when Britain really put its stamp on things under the concept known as the principles of effective occupation, which meant if you could occupy a land, in the, in the Americas, or even on the coast of Africa, you can take that. That'd be part of my queendom, and it will be part of our empire. And the fact of the matter is, as long as it doesn't cause problems with either Spain or Portugal or France or Holland, whatever the case may be, that is part of our realm. So this is what, it was the British initiative that took place in the late part of the 1600s or late part of the 16th century going into the 1600s. Then you have the likes of John Hawkins that left. He brought slaves back to Britain. He was commissioned by Queen Elizabeth to go and to take slaves back to the UK. And obviously he was knighted as we got the word Sir John Hawkins. The ship was called the Good Ship Jesus, and it's called Jesus Christ. So the first people to come over here was on the ship named Jesus. So this is important for us to know that religiosity still played an important role within British society. However, an element of cognitive dissonance would have to have taken place. You have to see these people less than human, inhuman, whatever the case may be, in order for an individual to justify the position that they are in, in order to maintain this horrific and barrack system. So here it is just to reinforce the, the um, way in which the upper class groups within the Caribbean and within um, North America were situated. These are the three top groups of whites, your planters, your merchants, and your men of profession. So when we look at the likes of Picton, which they talked about where they took his uh, statue out in town, one of the things is, is that if we look at Picton, he was a planter. Yeah, his plantation was in Trinidad, etc. He's a horrific planter. The way he treated his people on the plantation was totally horrific. He even killed people on his plantation. The merchant like Colston that came out of Bristol, that's what he was. He was trading in slaves, import and export, looking at merchandise, materials, commodities and resources, you know, interchanging that uh, transatlantic link from North America to Britain, Caribbean to Britain, and who they were sending to other European nations because they had hegemony or control or authority over some of those raw materials which are being produced in the Americas. Americas also includes the Caribbean islands. Then you have the men of profession, which is your more educated class, and they were more your government officials, you know, your doctors, administrators, but they were also slave owners at the same time. So you're going to see this was known as a slaveocracy. 
this is a slaveocracy, these groups of people. I'm just going to focus on the hierarchical structure amongst white people from Britain who was in the so-called New World and what positions that they held while they were ruling those particular vicinities or countries at that time. Then we got the colored people or the three blacks. So the colored people, your mixed race types, okay? So this is important to so you, mixed race types. They were usually the products of white males, black females, usually through rape. So that was a horrific system. This is what took place at that time. Because not many white women from Britain was going to the Caribbean islands. It's just like if you look at the history of seamen, who do they come? They don't come over with their wives. They come over single men and they marry local women. Okay, this is what happens. So if you go back into antiquity or back into ancient history, whatever the case may be, you will see a similar occurrence taking place. Then you had three blacks who were a minority within the American societies. And the Americas, I'm talking about the Caribbean islands as well, would have purchased their freedom or monumented from their slave owners, whatever the case may be. But if you wanted freedom, you can afford freedom. You can only get that if the slave owner wanted to release you. You just couldn't just give up freedom when you wanted. Then we have the slaves population, which are categorized into four. But I just want to focus on two. The mechanics, which is the backbone of Western society, which have held the slaveocracy system, the plantocracy, and what these were, you know, so the slaveocracy system was a system of slavery and the plantocracy of the so-called planters. We didn't plant really anything. They were just sitting on land which was owned by the monarchy in this country. Some of them actually purchased that land because of merchant class, giving them titles and all these other type of things, because we know these lands in the Americas were stolen. And then we got the field hands, which a lot of people like to focus on. And one of the things I want to emphasize is the importance of looking through black history through all different lenses. Unfortunately, within British society or Western society, they like to focus or start black history off in slavery and nothing else. They are fascinated with this. And the reality is our history is about far much more than that. To lock us in this 500-year room is totally unfair. Put us in a six or 700-year room, you see a different outcome, you see a different people. And this is what they want to refuse us from knowing or having. So I want you to uh, look at the slave system and look at the different roles that men and women of color have played within the plantocracy. 